We're talking about fruit of the Spirit, and tonight we're talking about meekness. And uh, starting in Galatians 5.22, and moving now into verse 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness. That's not what you'll read in the ESV. Meekness is what you'll read in the King James. And uh, in the King James Version... Um, this is from the teaching I did on gentleness. And in the, the New King James, the NASB and IV, ESVC, you know, all these said kindness. And then on meekness in the King James, you get gentleness out of most modern versions uh, for various reasons. You get gentleness, okay? And gentleness does communicate part of what meekness is. Um, it doesn't communicate at all, or does it? it no, and, and meekness doesn't communicate all of what meekness is. Matter of fact, English, <laughs> as a language, can't really communicate what we call or refer to as meekness. And Greek, uh, the Greek word behind this term meekness, um, was borrowed from secular Greek and even in secular use, obviously it was secular Greek because there was anyhow, in secular use didn't encompass all the nuance that this uh, scriptural attitude encompasses. And so every language is burdened with its own nuances and its um, flavors and, and being meek uh, can can have various connotations to us in English, and depending upon your exposure to the language or life, could have negative connotations in terms of demeanor or attitude, um, or perhaps misleading ones. The uh, complete Jewish Bible has for meekness, humility. Uh, gentleness and humility offer good synonyms uh, for the term we have for meekness. Humility, perhaps, closest, but still a synonym, not, you know, the actual defining. Is that because we take it like an attitude instead of as a gift? Um, yes, and because we, we tend to see humble and meekness and correlate it with timidness mm -hmm. or complacency, perhaps or um, might even see it as simply subservient, which in and of itself isn't bad, except that we have a bad connotation of what it means to be subservient, compliant. Compliance not bad either, but if we start talking about milk toast people, or walking mats, or passive, these are all different, you know. I used to think of it as, it was godly to do nothing and wait for something to happen. Godly to do nothing and wait for something to happen. Yeah, I don't know why, but that's what I used to think of. Yeah. In, in my line of work, we use the word compliance. It has none of those connotations. Instead, it's the standard that's is, up here. Yeah, it's way, way up there. Above what you're currently yeah. doing. And in order to be compliant, you need to get to a higher standard. To a higher standard, yeah. yeah. That's, that's a good point. Yeah. Were you going to say something, Eddie? When I think of meekness, I don't think of any of those negative connotations of it. I think it's always in a positive, wonderful Meek before God. Thank yeah, you. that's because the Word of God has knocked all these other bad connotations out of your head for you, which is a good thing. This is what we're. This is why we're going into Scripture on it. Mm -hmm. 
is that you know and and reg like when I was growing up we you know we had this you know Mork Meek that's like a character name right well he's like Mork Meek you know not Meek in a good way but right anyhow Matthew 11 verse 28 out of the King James Version come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart. And ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Philippians chapter 4. No, is it 4 or is it 2? This is what happens when you don't write things down. Um, Philippians chapter 2. And... Verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Uh, it, it, boggles me the immensity of um, what is communicated through simple verses and, and a simple phrase. The most epic event in all human history uh, encapsulated so simply. The most epic event in all human history um, becoming a, a culturally embedded seasonal rhythm given to all the things that humans give seasonal rhythms to, um, you know, materialism, uh, misapprehension, traditions, uh, all these things, you know, even in dating systems, like this is, you know, Anno Domini, this is the year of our Lord, 2022, and yet, in academic and secular sources, if you're going to be correct nowadays, you, you have to refer to it as the current era. Oh, well, what marks the current era for you secular intellectual types and papers that are written? Well, it's the birth of this guy named Jesus in Nazareth. But we can't say it's the year of our Lord. We might sound too religious. Oh, and BCE? Oh, that's before the current era. Before what happened? What exactly transpired between... 1 BCE and CE. Well, not the year zero because it doesn't exist. You see, there was this birth in Bethlehem in this little backwater place of the Roman Empire and this man that was born in probably a cave changed the world forever because he just happened to be God with us. Thank you, Lord. Different kingdom. Because Christ because because Christ entered. Because Christ entered. Amen. Mm -hmm.
Learn of me, for I am meek. Christ did not think equality with God was something to grab hold of, as in, as in he would never lay that down. He laid down aspects of divinity, the very things that define for us godhood. <clears throat> Omniscience. I know everything. Omnipotence. I am all-powerful. Omnipresence. I am everywhere. Omnitemperance of all time. To place himself, what I like to refer to as the singularity <laughs> of an egg in a woman's womb to develop as you and I do laid down those aspects of divinity, and yet the spirit that gave life to that development that was birthed on that day that changed all of history was the eternal Son of God. How much of his character do you think was changed in that transition? I don't know that it was... His character was changed at all? At all. None. Zero. Zilch. Nada. Had he not been meek as, as the Son of God in heaven before what we mark as time beginning, God said, let there be light. Time as we know it began then. Whatever it was before, we can't define. Neither can physicists. If he had not been meek in the halls of heaven, he wouldn't have come. He wouldn't have come. He wouldn't have laid down. All this to say that in saying, learn of me for I am meek, that goes for the Father, that goes for the Son, that goes for the Holy Spirit. Because meekness is an aspect, a marking characteristic of the family you've called to, been called to, um, and this is going to sound sacrilegious, and you may react to the fact of godness, <laughs> the fact of being called into the likeness of God. Okay? Godhood. Not that you're God, but you're called into that aspect. You are an image bearer. You reflect the image of God and the image of God shines through you. That treasure deposited into you in an earthen vessel. That light is the light of the one who breathed over the waters and said, Let there be light. Meekness. And if you understand that the almighty, all-knowing, ever-present God is meek, any semblance of weakness disappears from the word. Amen. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Does mind me in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Let every one of you look unto the affairs of others, and not to your own. In other words, it's not asking you to be a busybody. <laughs> 
It means to concern yourselves with the well-being of others beyond your own well-being, which is exactly what Jesus did. That's the mind we're talking about. That's right. Others-centered. This is how the kingdom of God operates. Amen. Self-centeredness leads to pride and arrogance and anger, all of which are demarcations of lack of meekness. <clears throat> Yoke and an oxen. I chose the wrong picture. Um, because I had another picture I chose that had a guy driving the yoke and the oxen. And either today is a recognition of things I have forgotten or a day of first thoughts. Regardless, the thought that came to me when I read this verse today was... In this verse, Jesus isn't the plowman. The yoke he's offering you isn't the yoke of being teamed with a brother or sister in Christ. He's the ox on the other side. <laughs> poor laborers. Right. Poor laborers. Thank he's, you, Lord. It, you know, if that's so comforting because if we, if we had to do it on our own, you know. Amen. Jesus never says just one thing. He speaks life in all its variegated importance and in a multicolored importance. And so there are always rich layers and even simple statements. You know, you take even something simple like Solomon was never clothed as a lily. You could probably get a PhD on lilies and still be discovering things about what God did in the field. You know, I mean, he just, you know, even the things that sound simple um, have eternal depth. And so, take your yoke, you know, take my yoke. You're, you're, you're laboring and you're heavy laden. And he says, if you work with me, it's rest. And, and when you take his yoke with you, you find out that he's meek. That there's a labor he is involved in that's powerful, that moves the earth, that makes things grow, that changes lives. All you got to do is walk beside him. Now, in this time, the yoke um, was uh, also used as a symbol of the law to take on the yoke of the law. And yet, being meek and being in the yoke with Jesus, against such there is no law. <coughs> it's not difficult, complicated, or binding. It's liberating, empowering, freeing, and fruitful. Luke chapter 2. This picture of Jesus coming into humanity Jesus calling himself meek was right there at his entrance. And we're all familiar with this passage, but I want to read it with you anyway. Luke 2. And uh, verse 8. In the same region, well, I should back up. Verse 7, Mary, she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes 
and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them at the inn. And probably an inn was nothing more than uh, a stone corral with access to water and perhaps a fire, a place to put out their pallets. There was no room there, so the supposition is they're probably in a, in a cavernous, a, a shallow cave sheepfold or some form of sheepfold. In this area of Bethlehem, the actual sheep that were washed in Bethlehem were the flocks for the sacrificial lambs that were going to be going to the temple. These shepherds were the Levitical shepherds that watched over these lambs that would be taken to the temple to be sacrificed for atonement. <laughs> Here Jesus is born. Yeah. He's fulfilling the, fulfilling the prophecies. Amen. And in the same region were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And so, Christmas is a joyous season, not because we get to give gifts so much, not because we get gifts so much, but because Christ came as the greatest gift for us all. It, 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 it's a wonder that we should never lose that the Son of God, the creator of the heavens and creator of the heavens and the earth, forever welded himself to a human frame to redeem you and me. We will stand for eternity and see him in human form and be able to see the scars that bought us. It boggles the mind. Mm -hmm. And he did it for joy. Lay before him. Thank you, Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on then peace among those with whom he is pleased. And so the shepherds went and found as it was written. He was swaddled, you know, uh, Ezekiel, God, through Ezekiel, in Ezekiel 16, talks to the nation of Israel, and he says, the day you were born, your cord wasn't cut, and you weren't even swaddled and salted. In other words, he found them symbolically, poetically, he chose them when they were, um, uh, what's the technical term for, for, for doing that, with exposing a child like that? It's not an abortion. It's after the child's born, you just throw it out in the field because, well, we'll just let it die out there. No, there's, there's a... Exposure comes close, but I forget. There's a term for it. It's abandoned, but it's, there's a term for it. Any event, um, to, to, be, to be salted and swaddled is, is to be cared for, to be loved, to be wrapped so that the arms and legs grow straight. You know, you're going to be straight and true. Um, I don't know how long newborn infants were kept in, in those actual birthing, swaddling clothes. But let's just say that the fact that they were still there at the birthplace 
and that he was where the angels said he, he would be signifies not a huge amount of time. We don't know how much space, you know, how much mm -hmm. that shepherds had to travel. Uh, and we're not given... Um, I think those shepherds were the shepherds that, that tended the sheep, the, the sheep that would be used by the priests as right. sacrificial that, That's correct. And so they wouldn't have been that far. Uh, they go over to Bethlehem. It says, we're not, you know, there's, the Holy Spirit didn't record the angels saying, so go down the field, cut through the valley, go up to the next, and the third stone off the left there in the north side of Bethlehem, you just, you know, you'll find it. Well, you know, the star was hanging out. Well, you know, relative star to, anyhow. You get it? They kind of had an idea where they were going, okay? <laughs> but they found him there in a manger. So, in, in these homes in this time, it was not uncommon, <coughs> excuse me, for the family and the animals to live in the same abode. And the family lived in a raised space, and then in the lower space of the home were the animals. This manger wasn't a wooden crash. It's more than likely a stone trough um, that was used to feed uh, the animals, to put hay in. So, coming into the world where the shepherds find him, he's not, you can't find, you know, I mean, the, the, the not to take away some holy here, but, you know, he was lower than a glowworm on a subway track. I mean, you couldn't get lower. A lower place for a king to be born in this society and found. This profound humbleness and meekness is exemplified at his entrance. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. So, I want to share with you, and, and if you'll bear with me, it's going to be somewhat at length because I think uh, these definitions from uh, Vine's New Testament dictionary are, are, are profound and worth sharing. But um, the, one of the Greek words translated meek or meekness is this Greek word prautes, and, and this is the uh, section I'm referring to if you happen to go to a Vine's New Testament dictionary, you know. Inside the, the uh, definition, he notes that, quote, the meaning of prautes is not readily expressed in English, for the terms meekness, mildness commonly used, suggest weakness and pusillanimity to a greater or less extent, whereas prautes does nothing of the kind. Doesn't express any kind of weakness. Well, I've always heard it taught that it was like power under control. Yeah, power under control. And when you think control. about that, it's there's strength there for somebody. Well, if, if you were a trained soldier, or you know, especially Marines, you know, the extra training and they get uh, to just harness that, mm -hmm. to just stand there and watch whatever going on in front of you, to just keep that power under control, and that. You just see that over and over and over again in the life of Jesus. Yeah. And that, 
that's how we're supposed to be. Because we've got the power. I mean, we've, we're loaded with gifts that are powerful. But then, you know, the wisdom, listening to the Holy Spirit is when to use those. That's you right. know? It's, to me, it's just... Yeah. I love it. The ox being under a yoke or a, a horse yeah. with a bridle or something like that is powerful. Yeah. That's what it's I was saying. power. Yeah. yeah. And Jesus is being the other ox. This is so cool. Jesus is so cool. He he says in this uh, in this definition that this word "prothesis" consists not in a, consists not in a person's outward behavior only, nor yet in his relations to his fellow men, as little in his as little in his mere disposition. Rather. It is an inwrought grace of the soul. The exercise of it are first and chiefly towards God. And this is the one they got me. It is that temper of spirit in which we accept his dealings with us as good, and therefore without disputing or resisting. It is closely linked to the, uh, with the word, um, I don't bother you with the Greek word, humility, and follows directly upon it. The adjectives in the Septuagint of, of Zechariah 3.12, meek and lowly, it is only the humble heart which is also the meek and which as such does not fight against God or more or less struggle and contend with Him. So, um, and then one final section out of this definition. He says, It must be clearly understood, therefore, that the meekness manifested by the Lord and commended to the believer, is the fruit of power. The common assumption is that when a man is meek, it is because he cannot help himself. But the Lord was meek because he had the infinite resources of God as his command. <laughs> That's goosebump worthy right there. <laughs> Jesus was meek because he had the... One of the greatest examples of that is... is you know, Peter drawing out his sword and cutting off the ear of Malchus, the, the high priest's servant. And, and Jesus is like, put that away. He says, don't you think I could just command yeah. 12 legions of angels right now? And going back to the military example, it's like the, the soldier who is under this great power of control is not going to sacrifice the mission just to whatever, you know, go off on somebody. Yeah, for his own... And think uh, about the mission of Jesus. Right. I mean, he knew what it was. The Bible says he found himself in the scriptures. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't telling a great story in the immediate. With the greatest, the greatness would come later. Us, you know. Once again, in uh, it's just my hero. In what Victor Davis Hanson is referred to as the Western way of war, the thing. Um, embraced by the soldier, if we're going to use a soldier example, uh, by the Greeks and then by the Romans and, and those capacities, uh, was not the valor of the individual warrior. What was of value in the Western way of war was holding rank, was staying in the line, shoulder to shoulder, and plowing forward, uh, forward. So in that essence, this 
this um, subservience of, of my will to his will, my will to the greater will, in, in that it's not, um, it's not what I can do or what I want to do, but what he wants done. Right? And not only what he wants done, but how he wants it done. So, um, I, I'm incapable of, I, I think it's impossible, <laughs> to break out all the nuances of this meekness in, in 60 minutes or less. <laughs> Nick, I would say, as a mom of many, this is probably an undertaught characteristic because as our boys, for example, grow taller and stronger than me, there hasn't really been enough words to express what the expectation is when you can walk away, drive away, use your fist and knock away mm -hmm. uh, the voice of some little woman telling you to do something you don't want to do, perhaps even with husbands, maybe even with just children in general that are old enough to resist a spanking. Yeah. Meekness is, I'm feeling at this point, way undertaught because it is that choice to restrain that which you can do to choose to do what you ought to do, yeah. just like Jesus. So we, I feel like we missed that because we, yeah, I know in our home we've really missed, you're hoping as they're getting taller and stronger that by then they understand the value of that submission for the glory of God or that right. we would. I, there are many places where I would exert my leadership or my voice and I choose not to. I was in a hospital this week. Oh man, I could have gone to town. Not good practice. Right, right. <laughs> All of, and I have a good testimony about that situation aside, not right now. Um, but yeah, the the fact that we we don't teach this, and we don't understand it, and we don't exemplify it, and it's I know it's missing in our home. That's why kids do. All the things they ought not to do just because they can. It's a it, lack of meekness. It gets um, so I, I I hear that struggle, and to whatever degree it is of comfort, it's not just a woman's struggle. Um, I, you know, I've, I've shared with others before that by the, by the time my children are grown and they all are now, and you've seen my boys, the trees, <laughs> and I say tree, I say trees to Steve and his, his are like, you know, um, bigger trees, taller trees. Um, that. That by the time they hit puberty, I, I hope that I've inculcated in their brain that I'm at least eight feet tall. Right. <laughs> um, you know, and that's just on the on on the natural side. But um, to to understand to understand that to to understand um, you know Heidi calls it family participation. Right. I need some family participation. What that means is, is that, it, and that usually is a signal in the Laram household that there's something that the house needs, <laughs> and we're all focused on our on our personal the house, the endeavors. The household, right? You know, there's a household need, and and generally in this household, it is it, the organizing principle of this household by and large is the ministry of the saints. I mean, it's just. You know, not that we don't do things for ourselves, all families do, but there's much that happens here that just revolves around being able to, to do this. And it's been that way for a long time. But, you know, I need, I'm in need of family participation, meaning that we're all 
in pursuit of our individual goals and um, have not paid attention to the family goal. And, and it's a good trigger um, to, to be able to do that. This, it, and again, meekness is, I just don't have, I haven't captured the right words for it. Um, meekness isn't this, you know, slobbering subservience, per se, this, okay, uh, yeah, you know, um, uh, I don't know if any, I, I'm going to age myself here, but you, 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 you remember the, the, the Roots program, um, Alex Haley's Roots, and, and, and so LeVar Burton, who went on to do other things, but he played the young Kunta Kinte, and there's this dramatic scene where um, the slave masters beat him until he takes his given name. But he kept calling himself Kunta, and they beat him until he called himself Toby. And um, as uh, one of our iconic comedy shows does, they satirized it. And so he was, he was appearing in, in some earlier version of Saturday Night Live, and, and in the skit, which had nothing to do with all of this, someone kind of like raised their hand at LeVar Burton, who was the guest host, and he just went, Toby, Toby, right? Mm -hmm. Well, when you think about that, it's not really funny. It's horrific. See, Jesus was obedient and got himself beaten. He wasn't beaten into obedience. Meekness took him to a place of pain. Pain didn't bring him to meekness. And, and so in this endeavor to fulfill the Father's will and His will, if He wasn't willing, He wouldn't have done it. Personal opinion, and as this is where I'll, you know, you just take this and you put it in what I call theoretical theology, okay? It is, it is my personal belief that um, had he been constrained, had it been a force like do this or go to hell kind of a situation, okay? Son, you go to earth, you become human, <clears throat> kudos. Um, comes time to the cross, understand that if you don't obey me at the cross, you're just like Adam in the garden. To me, that's a constraint. Um, that disqualifies a free will offering. And, and everything we see in the Garden of Gethsemane, even at his arrest when he tells Peter, you don't think that even right now I could ask for a, you know, six legions of angels and get out of the situation and it wouldn't happen? That, that Jesus' obedience was full, not my will be done but thine. Not my will be done, but thine. And and so I I think that that for all of us, this understanding of meekness um, is undervalued, uh, undercommunicated, uh, not necessarily uh, underwalked out, though some exhibit this fruit better than others, but. I will tell you this unequivocally. Our culture, as Americans, the water that we swim in, as Americans, 
absolutely despises meekness. Um, and calls for continual personal sovereignty and individuality and express your truthness. Okay? Perfect timing. So in contrast, kind of what you were saying and several, and the human about the arms, the guys in ranks. So in application to myself, uh-huh. just mention about the world and itself. So it, there are three things that come to my mind. One is I know my place, know my gifting, and know myself. Know my place, for instance. You know, along through the years, there were things I would have liked to have done. I would have liked to have been a pastor of a church. I would have liked to have been a popular teacher. I would have liked to have been a lot of things. But what I found over time, and I came to accept, was when it comes to, you know, the work, whatever, that was my place. And I accepted that. And what I find is when I know my place, that's where God will use me. Know my gifting, not just not stuff that, but know my gifting. So whether I look at that in the Romans twelve, you know, uh, uh, what ruler, exhorter, ser- uh, teacher, servant, giver, mm-hmm. all that stuff. So know, well, what, what am I? What am I? Prophet. So in, so I know my place. Motivation. I know my gifting, and I got to know myself. Knowing myself means I know my tendency to of the flesh, <laughs> and it's the humility that says, I can't do this. I cannot. Because left to myself, I will be like what the world would have been like without Jesus. Because mm-hmm. that's what I did when I was without Jesus. So, in application, to your point, mm-hmm. contrast to the world, those three areas I have found really useful to in, in terms of... And the meekness is, when I when I know my place and I abide there, when I know my gifting and I walk in it, and I, and I know myself and that I can't do anything good without Him, in those three ways, that, that helps me attain to meekness because... Um, that was not anything I was born into. I was born into um, all kinds of self. Anyway. No, that's 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 spot on. So sometimes looking at a negative example can help to highlight the characteristics that you're trying to bring out the positive. For example, if you throw Satan up there as a negative example of mm-hmm. one who's given a certain responsibility but instead in his pride he abandons the very nature that God created him with and decides to do something different with his life and yeah, exactly. goes off and restructures himself to look a different way and behave a different way and you know all the, the love that is God ends up being you know rebelled against in mm-hmm. his nature and, and all the hate and foment, the self-righteousness and, and I mean, every, every negative thing you can think of, he, he, he nails it. But in that in that meekness is his refusal to follow the, the direction that God gave him and the mission that God originally gave him and throws all that off and, and loses his own nature right. in that process. Yeah, changes, changes his own characteristic. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I'm just going to quote myself. I, I wrote this some time back, but anyhow. When one, to, to, to that point, when one views their possession, their position as a possession and a right to be defended, then pride manifests itself and war breaks out between people seeking their own interests. 
uh, you know, and, and we can identify that in that because I'm the fill in the blank. Why? Because I'm the boss, I'm the dad, I'm the whatever. So um, when one views their, possession, their position as a possession and a right to be defended, then pride manifests itself and war breaks out between people seeking their own interests. But when one holds their position as an assignment from God go. and faithfully represents Him, then all threats to or questions of their authority can be confidently referred to the one who delegated it. If we let God fight our fights, victory is sure. Amen. Amen. So, um, there is this dramatic scene... Uh, and it's following upon Korah's rebellion where the people are coming against Moses and God says, hey, take a step back because I'm getting ready to just take care of this situation right now. And um, this is out of Numbers 16. And I'll read it to you out of the NIV, uh, starting in verse 41. The next day the whole Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. You've killed the Lord's people, they said. And you remember, Moses said, look, you know, if nothing weird happens, then everything's good. But if something's strange, like the ground opens up and swallows all these people up, well, then you know God's in, you know, they go alive to Sheol. <laughs> Think about that. Um, <laughs> then something, you know, and so that's this Korah and all, all the people that rebelled. They, they, you know, God takes them out and the people are like, you, you're just way out of field here. You've killed God's people, um, but when the assembly gathered when the assembly gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron, and turned toward the tent of meeting, suddenly the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. Then Moses and Aaron went into the front of the tent of meeting. The Lord said to Moses, "Get away from this assembly, so I can put an end to them at once." And they fell face down. Then Moses said to Aaron, "Take your censer and put incense in it." along with fire from the altar, and hurry to the assembly to make atonement for them. Wrath has come out from the Lord, and the plague has started. So Aaron did as Moses said, and ran into the midst of the assembly. The plague had already started among the people, but Aaron offered the incense and made atonement for them. And he stood between the living and the dead, and the plague was stopped. But 14,700 people died from the plague in addition to those who had died because of Korah. Then Aaron returned to Moses at the entrance of the tent of meeting for the plague had stopped. This is, this is such a traumatic and dramatic scene, but when God speaks and, and they fall face down, their response to God's judgments, worship, and their response to the people's sin is intercession, the incense, and the making atonement. And that, that intercession is brought to bear ahead of the judgment so that death stops. And so the question I wrote was, how often do we stand up against accusation instead of laying down in intercession? If we are not meek, we seek our own cause in the face of opposition instead of recognizing the danger those opposing us face when we are representing God. When we are in His will and we are being opposed, meekness mandates mediation for the madness of mutiny. 
we should pray for the Lord's mercy on those who oppose him. So the first question when I'm getting opposed is, am I representing God? And did you know you could stand for the right thing in the wrong way? That to represent God includes representing uh, God in the heart that he wanted the message represented in. You know, examples of this in Scripture is when Moses gets angry and strikes the rock twice. He wasn't even supposed to strike it at all. He was just supposed to command water out of the rock. I've shared before a time when I, I gave a word of prophecy in church. Uh, I think it was in New Life context. But the, the volume and tenor at which I gave it made the word incorrect. The word was from God, but my delivery was off. Right? And so... As, as we're walking in meekness to the Lord, as we're relating to our children, as we're relating to friends and family, as we're relating to co-workers, spouses, and, and so we all have needs, and we all have interests, and so the first question is, have I submitted my needs and interests before God? And then when, when I am having these uh, interactions, these human interactions, and there's opposition. Is it me that's being opposed or God? Because the reaction's different. You know? Um, there's a high likelihood if there's opposition, and the opposition is, is to me, that I'm wrong. <laughs> that perhaps what I need isn't necessary now or in the way I need it fulfilled, right? So if I check that first, if I check me first, if there's going to be any independence or sovereignty, let it be that on self-reflection to see if that I'm in the faith, right? To see that I'm not reprobate. To see that I'm representing the Father's heart correctly. And if I am, and, and my loved ones are reacting negatively, um, then to pray for them instead of shouting at them. I've done both. Praying works better. Right? And, and so to respond in the spirit of meekness, to respond in the heart of intercession. Because intercession goes away from, they think I'm wrong, to I want you well. Right? Um, I'd say it's just a rich subject. Uh, so here's my operational definition of meekness. Okay? And arrive to you through various means, but this is how I see it. Meekness is an attitude of serene confidence springing from the knowledge that my will is subject to God's will and that my actions are in accordance with His direction. In that, I can be meek. And, and this is the primary, our primary relationship with our Heavenly Father, right? Our primary relationship, this is where meekness stems from. I, I, it, it, trying to count how many times I've been fired. <laughs> well, recently. But, you know, before recently. I, let's just say I've been let go at least three, if not four times, okay? And, and um, uh, I, I will confess that as a, a primary provider for a large household, being unemployed is scary. It's scary. Um, yet I, I can say with honesty that to, in speaking with co-workers, 
and in testifying to God and in saying, I serve the creator of the heavens and the earth here. And when he's done with me serving him here and moves me on, I will move on. So if they fire me, they fire me. Not as braggadocio. Not as arrogance. Not as I don't care. Oh, I care. I cared more than I thought. I had a coworker who said, um, she, she told me, she said she was talking to some of the um, route supervisors that were working for me at the time. And, and she said, I just let him know, you know, he's got seven mouths to feed. And he seems really, really nice. But if you don't do what he needs, he's going to let you go. I'm just letting you know that up front. And I thought, I didn't even know that about myself. But then I looked at my record and I thought, yeah. I gave him every chance to comply to what was needed to be done, and when they didn't do it, I let him go. Okay. And yet, when you serve God, opposition will come. When you're submitted to God, opposition will come. How will you face the opposition? How will you face opposition... When you know a brother or sister is, is going the wrong way and, and they need to be brought in, they're, they're exhibiting um, aberrant behavior, <laughs> right? Fill in the blank, extraordinary anger, um, substance abuse, uh, whatever the case may be, and you need to restore that person in the faith, what attitude are you supposed to bring to the table? What is it? Restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Lest we be caught up in the same sin. Lest we be caught up in the same sin. You know, in my early, in, in, in some formidable years of my Christian discipleship, I was reproved with anything but meekness. You know, leaders um, uh, prided themselves in melting someone's face. You know, being dressed they, down. They, they were screwed up. Well, I, they aren't the only ones, but yes. And so, anyhow, it's just how gracious is our God to seal us with His own Holy Spirit, the spirit of meekness, to infuse within us the very character and attitude that would lead us to serve others and guarantee for us an eternal inheritance. <laughs> Look, I'm going to recreate you, you dead thing. I'm going to recreate you in my image, give you my own very power and character. I just want you to let it shine out of that cracked jar of yours, will you please? How gracious is our God to supply that. James chapter 1, verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, Slow to anger. These are all keys to walking in meekness. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Well, it was righteous indignation, was it? Or did you just get angry and justify your action? And I don't say that as an accusation. I just say that as a, as a tool in your box that says, Hey, check the mirror. Anger is an emotion provided by God, but its uses are limited to human beings. Very limited. Good uses of anger in a human being is limited. 
So, if you wonder if you're walking in meekness, are you interrupting other people in conversation? Are you listening? Are you angry? The best thing we can use anger for is the warning sign that we probably feel like our rights have been violated. Been trampled on, yeah. <laughs> and we need to be careful. The next thing we say or do. That's right. Watch your mouth. Verse 21, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls and be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. And so in the Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, God infuses us with meekness. And yet we, as disciples of Christ, have a responsibility in our soul, in our intellect, right, to be meekly receiving that word. What does it mean to meekly receive the word? Well, you know, well, it means to do it. <laughs> That's what it means. Ultimately, a meek response to a, a command of God is to be obedient, right? To be doers, to be doers. How often does the Spirit convict us when we are angry or whatever, saying, you know what, if you would just chill out for a minute, I will show you a better way. And I'm like, no, I just want to be mad. <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh, God. How many good lessons we miss. Amen. Amen. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Ah, right out of the attitudes, right there. <laughs> the blessitudes, the happitudes. <clears throat> Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Jesus uh, was quoting Psalm 37, 11. The meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Okay? But whenever Jesus refers to a scripture, it behooves us to go to the context of that scripture. Not because we think Jesus has used it out of context, but because we know he used it in context. <laughs> right? He brought life to it because he is the living word. Yeah. And, and so, he is the word. And so to see this, the meek shall inherit the earth in its native soil. Okay? In its context. Let's go to Psalm 37 verse 1. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. That's like six sermons in these four verses, if not more. Um, you could just, you know, just milk it for your self-reflection. But... Uh, I don't know. Um, maybe you, maybe you struggle with enviousness towards wrongdoers. Maybe you don't. Uh, you know, I, I've gone through various stages of this in my life, um, and and one way I see it manifested in younger people, young people, particularly young people in a Christian home. And particularly young people in a Christian home who may be exposed to a wider group of uh, a social circle. You know, they're in public school or, or you know, the public places. And, well, how come we can't do that? 
You know, well, they, I, I mean, well, you know, if I, you can, you, I could give extraordinarily bad examples, which I won't, but basically that sentiment is, is that, well, they get to have all the fun. And maybe the fun they're having is skulls in their front yard. Maybe the fun they're having is um, a, a disregard for any kind of assembly on a regular basis. Maybe the fun they're having is some very um, unhealthy music. I mean, fill in the blank. There, there are these things that are, are obviously uh, wrong, but they're involved in, and from our view of it, our limited view of it, they're not suffering any consequence. You're overreacting. I don't even know why you have a problem with fill in the blank, right? And so this is one struggle that, uh, my battery's running low, um, that uh, people may have with the enviousness of wrongdoers. And then um, with a person with young man's disease, you know, I, I, I see a bunch of bad actors in Scripture who wound up on top. And, and I see, well, how come they get to be bad actors? Right? You know, they get crowned king and get to do all this stuff and, and I gotta go put a tie on or something. <laughs> Which is petulant and childish, but, you know, it's a, it's a struggle inside a young man's disease. And then maybe as you grow older and you're a businessman and, 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 and you encounter business people who, um, and, and I put air quotes up there, right, who are Christian or believers and yet are involved in certain business practices that you don't consider to be quite right. Or even people who are Christian who don't say they're Christian and they're involved in business practices that you, are, you know are wrong and yet they're making hand over fist money. Maybe I should cut that corner. Why am I constricted to this full disclosure ethic? Why do I have to go the extra mile? What? They're getting by with it. Do not fret because yourself because of evildoers. So I, you know, I'm just highlighting it for myself. You may not have this struggle. But this struggle works against meekness, is what I'm saying. Do not be envious against wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Faithfulness. Being faithful is your friend. I'm telling you, it's that, that what's classified as mundane activity, like think making your bed, you know, <laughs> the, the, the mundane things in life that make all of society run that are never glorified, uh, that need to be done and befriended. There's faithful activities, right? Befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. There are various ways of hearing this in application. Um, I, I think that the the strongest application of this is, is that when you delight in the Lord, He will implant a desire in your heart. He'll give you that desire. But it also has application in the fact that there are desires that are good that He will grant you. Can I offer, uh, actually, on what I just saw as I he, watched he, you do he this? He goes on uh -huh. to bless, to bless people. Yes, He does. Well, you, you know, you, you came to this and you were saying context, right? Uh-huh. 
and I was just sitting here reading this, and I was reading it in context, and if you, depending on where you put the emphasis of the word, it sounds a little different, because he's saying, you know, fret not yourselves, evildoers, be not envious, for they will soon fade, don't exercise your own self, don't do your own judgment, but trust in the Lord, and do good, dwell in the land, and befriend faithfulness for glad so far. He will give you the desires of my point is the desires of the heart in context here are his dwell in the land and, and to dwell in the land. And all the things that the evildoers are doing that are preventing you from dwelling in the land and prospering, he says, if you trust in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart contextually to dwell in the land. That's what I'm reading into this. Amen. Amen. Verse 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in His way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Uh, <laughs> refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself that tends only to evil. Yeah. But question. Yes. Does that mean when we are in any adverse circumstance that our only solution then is to do nothing? Because that goes back to my I have a to-do list. Thought of meekness that says, okay, well that just means I'm supposed to do nothing. I'm supposed to lay myself down, let everybody walk over me, and God's gonna take care of it, and there's nothing I should do. But then then the other side of that is well, all it takes people men to prosper is good men to do nothing. So how do you Yeah, so that? so refrain from anger, forsake wrath, fret not yourself, it only tends to evil. Let me keep reading. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. And I'll, and I'll keep with this in a second. But at that point, that that view that view of meekness as being um, passivity in that sense. Uh, meekness is anything but passive in that meekness intentionally and actively seeks the Lord's will and seeks to execute it. So this fretting over the man who does evil or does, you know, who, who does evil I, I, is, is this um, is this emotional overprocess that that winds itself up in our in our anger, worry, and anxiety part of our soul. This is the fretting. So it's not if there's a nothing to be done, it's to don't do that. Don't be anxious about it. Um, Ed, Ed and I were talking about uh, uh, you know um, money and economies before everybody showed up and. And inflation and things of this nature, and and anyhow, uh, a collapsing economy. And my my offhand comment was, all economies eventually do. And he said, and Ed said, yeah. And basically, you really can't do anything about what ultimately, you know, if the government starts printing money because we live in a fiat money system, and, and everything, if everything yeah. goes goes. If the Everything goes if, south. If, if the stuff hits the fan. Right. <laughs> then, you know, just trust in the Lord. Well, that's, that's all I've got left now anyway, right? Is trusting God. So, 
well, I'm going to go far afield, but I'll, I'll bring myself back in. The conversation started with bartering. When people just bartered, how did, they, how did you decide on the exchange of value? How did I decide that two chickens were worth um, five bales of hay? Or, you know, I mean, what's the means of exchange in a barter system? And, how long and how hard did you have to work for it? Well, yeah, how long and how hard you have to work for it. And, and so then um, the sophistication of modern society's means of exchange is pretty astronomical. But the reality of it is, is that our means of exchange is entirely irrational and faith-based. Uh, we, we are now in, this was, all, this was already weird to me when it was just fiat money and paper, but now it's beyond weird because it's electronic and, and you know, it could come and go at the blink of an eye, right? Just like that. And yet, and yet, I mean, as a young man with a young man's disease and, and, and confronting a teller who wanted my fingerprint for a check and then railing against the Antichrist because of digital money, I'm ju I'll just assume whip out my card now because, you know, the I's and O's, I believe. Not only do I believe, but the person I'm getting the tangible item from, they believe the I's and O's are real. That that digital transference in the electronic world represents some sort of value. How bizarre is that? It's very bizarre. And yet, to people like this, You'll talk to them about the tangible of tithing and the faith-based factor of offering money to the Lord. And they're like, I don't know about that. It seems kind of irresponsible. I don't have that money. Trust in the Lord. Right? This is just an example, right? And trusting in the Lord. And so when evildoers like, like this guy, um, you know, this... This decrepit individual that stole over two billion dollars on, on a digital exchange. I mean, that's 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 beyond grand larceny, right? Billions of dollars that that are stolen. That's evil. It's wicked. That affects people's lives. And and so we could. Well, what if that happens? So here's here's anger. I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out there and kick that guy, you know. Uh, there's, 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 there's fretting. You know, if, if you're the victim, what am I going to do? If, um, if, if you're not the victim, but then you're like, you know, you're watching your 401k erode, and you're like, oh, what's going to happen? My 401k is eroding because of evildoers. Mm -hmm. I, I live in, in the most prosperous economy in human history. In this, in this, the value in this of country, my the, the value of, of my savings shouldn't be decreasing in a just society. And so I can take my human anger and lose sleep and be anxious about what am I going to do when I can no longer make a fist and hold a wrench? Okay? What am I going to do if fill in the blank or, I, you know rail in anger at those in authority and fret over evil doing in that sense or am I going to trust in God? So is my, what is my meek, but what is that, my, in that, in that essence, what is my meek response to, um, to thieves 
to thieves on a small and grand scale in the world, my meek response would be... Well, a thought that comes to my mind is, Father in heaven, there aren't certain angels running businesses to rip off all the other angels are wanting to take over Amen. in your kingdom. So we ask your kingdom to come here on earth. Your will be done. Amen. You have elders who are totally secure and enabled, have all the qualities to carry out their government responsibilities around your throne. Ask you, we ask you to give us ones like that, elders to manage these thrones, seen and unseen, like Mordecai and Esther. We want those kinds who love their own people <coughs> and sought for the best of the land. And, you know, or Daniels or Josephs. Amen. Or, this is what we want. We want your kingdom people to be in positions of leadership so the world can prosper. We can live at peace. Amen. In all godliness and honesty. But Amen. not being totally deceived and overrun by. That means so when you yeah. stop, that's just a response. That's that's absolutely. Humble. So all that, just... all that energy goes in meekness toward God and intercession and submission. Sure. So, but then we seek God to move on them in places of power that they might act. Yeah. What about then when the act is with, really falls within our own, our own. Our own purview. What if what if the acting has to be by us ourselves? So meekness says, does meekness say I should not act, or does meekness simply say I should not retaliate in anger, but I should seek God, look for a direction, and then act? Is that valid? Is that still meek? Meekness educates the method of our response, the way we act. So it doesn't say you should not do. It says do this it. is how you shall do it. You, you talk about act. I mean, trusting isn't act. Trust. So you, you you talk about it as if trusting wouldn't be acting, but trusting is the biggest. Well, okay. Act, so example, I, I I there's a certain issue I have been trusting, and yet I have continued to be misused and abused for a period of time. And once I understand the situation, there's no incentive for that person to not to stop doing that. So at some point, if I don't do something. I w this will go on indefinitely. I must make a choice. Do I act? And if I seek the Lord and I believe He gives me a direction, is it acceptable to act? Is it still meekness or is any acting, for instance, to protect myself, is that something other than meekness? That's what I'm trying to sort out in my own mind. This is something real. Right. Yeah, well, to me, it's like Steve said, and you petition and intercede, and you trust, but then still listen to how the Lord leads you. If he does lead you to act and talk or step out, exactly. then I would do that. But if he says, no, just trust me and don't do anything, then you right. do that. So it's right. more like a personal direction how God would lead it, you. Exactly, yeah, and, and, and this is good. This is very helpful because I used to look at meekness as, well, I'm just not supposed to do anything. God's going to take care of it. God's, and meanwhile, you know, the thing goes on and I'm just not supposed to do it, you know, and I'm trying to figure out when is it okay to act because, you know, Jesus on the cross, he just let them crucify him and I guess, should I just let myself get crucified here? You know, and I, I, you know, sometimes it's hard to sort that out, but back to your point, you know, if you're praying and seeking and you believe you have received a direction, then you act, and then you act in faith because it's like, God, I believe I believe this is acceptable in your sight. And if I'm messing this up, you know, I'm going to trust you to correct me, but I believe. And so there's this element of faith. Like, even in the acting, mm -hmm. I have to believe that I, I saw, I was led, and I did. And I hope I didn't mess this up, but I believe I did the right thing. 
know, passivity. Passivity is the devil's playground um, in that in that sense. And so, you know, waiting on the Lord isn't passivity. Waiting on the Lord is is an active intentionality to hear the heart of God, right? Um, but it's it, meekness is not doing nothing. Meekness is 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 doing the right thing in a controlled fashion in, in the right spirit in the right absolutely in the right spirit right. so the the um you know refrain from anger and turn from wrath do not fret it leads only to evil for evil men will be cut off but those who hope in the lord will inherit the land a little while and the wicked will be no more though you look for them they will not be found but the meek shall inherit the land and enjoy great peace. So, the list gives us a number to do things for weakness, right? Things to do. To trust in the Lord. To delight ourselves in the Lord. To commit our way to Him. To be still before Him. And to wait patiently for Him. And I've written that all these actions move us away from self and toward Him. Trusting in the Lord leads us away from trusting ourselves or the arm of men. Delighting ourselves in the Lord puts our affections on Him and what He desires instead of us and what we desire. Committing our way to the Lord means that we have left our course to His direction. Being still before the Lord and waiting patiently for Him means that we are not agitated in presumption, but respectfully wait for our sovereign to speak. All these speak of a meek spirit, for we have humbled ourselves before the Lord. So, again, this, this um, I, I go back to an example my father imparted to me that came from my grandmother, and, and he shared with me, and I, I couldn't have been more than 10, maybe 11, but he, he said that, you know, my grandma Jane came in, and my dad was sitting there. Um, I think he said he was staring at a chessboard. And, and she, she said, John, what are you doing? And, and, and he said, well, you know, I'm just waiting for God to move me. And, and so her practical advice, which I'm going to bungle right now, but was, was that, that occupy until he comes, basically. And that, those weren't her words, but that, um, that God's call to be meek to him isn't one of passivity. You know, exactly. John, you're going to have to do something. He's not going to pick you up and, and throw right. you over there, right? You're going to have to act at some You're going to have to move. So meekness calls for us to submit our hearts before him. That's the primary action yeah. in meekness. And then that submitted heart then begins to behave gently towards others. Yeah. And it's that... You know, the, well, that that marker of gentleness. Yes. Um, that that stems out of that submitted will. Yeah. Right. C.S. Lewis had a lot to say um, in, um, in opposition to passivism. I mean, he was the he was the sort of radio minister to England during World War II when they were fighting off, you know, the devil Hitler or whatever. And, uh, you know, he, he basically concluded that pacifism just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I couldn't certainly articulate all of his argument, but it's always this problem as a Christian. How do you deal with aggression? The 
because our primary example against aggression is Jesus going to the cross. Mm -hmm. And yet, he turns to his disciples and say, now is the time, if you don't have your sword, sell your tunic and buy one. Yeah, if I could interject. Yes, please. Jesus did that one time. He isn't calling us to do that again. So I think Stephen is a better example. Jesus did what? The sword or the cross? Jesus went to the cross. One time. We're, we're right. not and he's not going to be crucified again. Right. We, there, right. There are some analogies, and we can say Jesus will lead us towards the cross, or lead us to cross-like experiences. But he didn't call us to do exactly that. He already did that. That was his mission. That, that was, was his mission. mission. Exactly. That's a good but, point. So, so take somebody like Stephen. He's a better example. Okay. Right. He didn't stand there silently, mm-hmm. but he did that. Okay. He was acting in meekness. In other words, he yes. continued his ministry. He continues his word. Yes. And you know, when it came time to die, he didn't yep. draw a sword to take him out. He yep. basically accepted that consequence. That's where he came to die. In other words, contextually, you could say Stephen was acting within the law in right. everything that he did, which was good. Yes. But for him to turn and to kill and to essentially murder, mm-hmm. then that would have been outside of the purview of what God might have uh, allowed, I guess. Yeah, and a lot of you know a lot of folks from from Peter to Paul and a lot of Christians since that time have died. But they did that fulfilling what God was leading them to do at that time. It usually didn't mean keeping their mouth closed. It makes me ask the question, what does the words mean, resist evil? Well, how do you, what, there are ways to resist evil. Yeah, but our words are the most powerful weapon we have. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It looks that the, we... It is, it is beyond revolutionary what the kingdom of God is. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we struggle with it supremely because even in, even in our um, Christian heritage, you know, God is a man of war. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, you know, and, and so there's a part of us that embraces this warrior thing and yet, how the warrior thing is done doesn't look like we think it should. Or doesn't look like we generally look at it as it does. It, Jesus flipped the whole thing around. And the love your enemies, um, and, and the turn the other cheek, in, in a manner that is not, um, in a manner that is loving, meek, and kind, not weak, passive, and timid. Mm-hmm. And and so, you know, I mean, Stephen before the Sanhedrin, his entire exposition was respectful, was gentle, and and then he brought not his criticism, but he got he got to the point where he he brought to bear the witness of Scripture and God's criticism of pushing against the Holy Spirit living in human in, in human beings. And for that, the religious spirits, the, the demonic influence in the Sanhedrin killed him. Yeah. And it, so it raises that, even Stephen did this. Yeah. So it raises the question, when are we ever uh, permitted to give a defense for ourselves? Right? So Stephen, being accused, 
gave a defense for we know his actions and his faith and what have you. Now, ultimately, um, that didn't end well for him. But well, I guess I how you look at it. But uh, maybe you just need to walk right a spirit in a in a particular situation. I think you're right. You're I mean, not, you're not going like, to have a set of rules yeah, that's like going to were saying, it through this. In the end, some things are just not prescribed. <laughs> To that to that point, when we receive accusation, or we receive we receive opposition. Um, much of meekness has to do with yielding our rights. Moses yielded his right to react against the people instead, and instead cried out to God and entrusted himself to His justice. He yielded his right to take their rebellion personally and place their offense on the one they were tr- they were truly rebelling against. Mm-hmm. He yielded his right to revenge and instead offered to suffer the consequences of the sin of others. He yielded his right to defend himself and instead interceded for those who opposed him. It would do us well to remember that Moses was dealing with his own people in these troubles, not the enemies of other nations. This should tell us how we are supposed to behave Absolutely. toward others in the church. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Stephen, you were going to say something? I was just going to say in Stephen's example, there's a couple other details in there too. Um, and I was just reading it earlier today and I thought, well... You know, that's really shining, allowing God's light to shine through you. He was recounting Israel's history Mm -hmm. to them and then pointed it to the fact that, and and also in another place it says Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. He was one of the seven men chosen to serve tables to the widows, the Greek and Jewish widows. Um, And also... As he's delivering this, he was absolutely beaming. He was beholding Jesus Amen. standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Forget, hold, you know, don't hold this against them. Right, right. Just so that light was right. so pure. And what a way to go. I mean, Amen. And yeah. then, then within a few minutes, whatever, he's in the presence of God. It's yeah. Like, you did real well. And, and it goes back to the idea also pray, pray for those who despitefully use you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think as long as you part of keeping the right heart and 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 availing yourself of the opportunity to to walk by the Spirit requires that if you have a difficult road and you and you have to walk in a, a kind of the tightrope walk of obedience and and I think that part of that involves praying for those who despitefully use you because it has to it has to otherwise you are certainly going to fall up into the left ditch or or, or whatever and. Act of your own unrighteous will. The other thing about Stephen is that Paul was a witness to what Stephen did. And Mm -hmm. all of his decisions through all the books that we have copies of, letters we have copies of, Paul, like Jesus, is constantly making a non-formulaic choice by the power of the Holy Spirit. He prays in jail. He walks out of jail. He stays in jail. You know, he, he doesn't do anything in a pattern he does everything by the spirit of god and i think stephen's example must have just stuck with paul all those incredibly deadly situations he was in one minute he pulls the roman card the next minute he's pulling the pharisee card Mm -hmm. i mean he just knew exactly what to do in all those deadly they were all fatal situations but he pulled a different card every time and he came out it wasn't intellectualism wasn't calculated it was it was always a different way. That's really, that's really insightful.
I think the piece of Stephen must have inspired him for the rest of his life. Well, that's <laughs> it impacted him for all of his life. Absolutely. Can you imagine? That's the thing about martyrs. I yeah. mean, the demons are laughing, but it influences people. That's so in every culture, I mean, look at Islam. Yeah, yeah. I want to come back to this, to to this to this cross thing. It is that you know a a um, a perversion of what Christ has called us to are these people who in in uh, religious ecstasy have themselves um, hammered on the crosses to celebrate Easter week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, this happens in the mm-hmm. Philippines. It happens in other cultures where, okay, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna be Christ-like. I even saw a Christian film that kind of satirized this to a certain degree. You know, this this mega church pastor wanted to draw a bigger crowd, and one of the youth, one of the kids oh, in the youth yeah. group, you I know, he, he volunteered to be crucified live on TV. You know, uh, and 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 the example was used to show how ridiculous the whole promotional thing had gotten. Well, he was church. trying to. Make his church bigger was right. his whole thing. Yeah, right. I know how we'll get him. We'll be so, crucified. So that's a that's a you know that that's a a, a perverse literalism of scripture. Uh, but the reality, the reality of our calling, men, women, boys, and girls, young people, uh, is that if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you're going to have to take up your cross. Something of you is going to die. And preferably all of you is going to die. So you can be all of Him. And so, while, while God is the God of life and embraces it, we are not a suicidal faith. If, if it was literally, you know, go hang up on the wood, we would be a suicidal faith and, and it would make sense, you know, die and go to heaven, die and go to heaven. Why are we even living this thing? God's the God of life and embraces life and gives wisdom to escape the trap. But he tells us in no uncertain terms that there are those of us who in ultimate witness, just like warriors, and here I go with a warrior example, just like warriors in, 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 in serving in the military, not everybody pays the final sacrifice, but some always do. And so if we all understand that that is always on the table, then that decision can be made now, you know, not be fretted about later. Well, that was what, what Jesus, one of the things that Jesus accomplished on the cross was our fear of death. Yeah. And, you know, working in hospice, many people welcomed it mm-hmm. and talked about they were ready, you know, and, yeah, it wasn't a sad thing at all for them. Of course, they were ready to go spiritually, but... Um, Death is just part of life, and for us, it's just change of address. Yeah. 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 For us, it's been one. So, it's um. Going in on a bat. That's a good note to end on, right? Hey. hey. <laughs> We're all alive, praise Jesus. In Him. Amen. I heard a good story recently about a janitor. Yeah, everybody just kind of ignored him because he was the janitor and he was doing his job. And and then one day, someone had raised to try to figure out who this janitor was, and they figured out that he was a decorated war veteran. And he's all these, you know, cocky Marines are working around him. He's just the janitor. No, he isn't just the janitor. He's the guy that single-handedly cleaned up machine gun nests uh-huh. twice in the same battle right. and earned the Medal of Valor. 
and never had a ceremony. Yeah. So they got to give him a ceremony. They gave the Medal of Honor, Honor Valor ceremony to their janitor. Yeah. After having treated him as a janitor for a decade or more, they, they got to recognize him as one of the Marines, yeah. someone who had earned his stripes. And, and, and yet, he didn't, before or after, you know, march around. Right. You know, he's, he was the janitor. He was doing his job. Yeah, and, he's and, a and, humble guy. Yeah, yeah. Guy. yeah. 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 He, he refers to that day, you know, that day I was a soldier, you know? A lot. Yeah, embracing your calling. That's it. Well, praise God. And we're not alone. We're not ever alone. So that gives us courage. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives, and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Thank you, Jesus.